Cheyenne. Uh, just a little bit about me. Um, just because actually when you know something about a person, it helps you understand the position they're coming from. And um, so I have been raised in a family that love Jesus. Uh, I went to a church. I'm really, really thankful for my heritage, for my mum and dad, my grandparents, my great-grandparents on some sides uh, that love Jesus. And that's a great heritage, and I'm really thankful for it. It also comes with quite a lot of baggage. Um, I was raised in quite a strict um, church uh, that uh, the Bible was faithfully, faithfully taught. Um, what sometimes happened though was because I was very, very young and we had to sit through services very, very young, you uh, take things in and you interpret those things and sometimes things are said and sometimes things have been wonderfully helpful to me. I remember very, very tiny sitting, hearing somebody say, if I just sat in a chair all the time and did nothing, Jesus would still love me. And I remember that made a massive impression on me. Uh, unfortunately, also other passages have been used and spoken to me and I've taken things in, maybe misinterpreted them, maybe I didn't, that actually haven't been helpful and have actually um, caused me a lot of pain, caused me a lot of anger, caused me a lot of resentment. Um, over the last two years, um, I've been studying at a place called Waverley Abbey, which is up in Surrey, you might have heard of it, 24-7 um, now live there. Um, so I've been studying a course called Spiritual Formation. I've got one more year to go, so keep praying for me. It's been the toughest thing I've ever done. Uh, if you've got two hours, my, my small group are wonderfully patient with me and really encouraging and have been cheering me on over the last two years. It's been incredibly uh, challenging. It has also been the most transformative, most wonderful thing I've ever done. Uh, but the thing that Waverley has really taught me is the holistic. We are people, we are emotional, we are relational. Uh, my church practice focused purely on the spiritual and kind of forgot that actually we're in physical bodies. We're emotional people and those things, um, you know, as, as Hannah said, our lives don't go smoothly. And before you think, whoa, she's done two years of study, she must be really spiritually formed. <laughs> no, it's been really transformational. It's been really challenging. A lot of the times uh, we've been with a great group of people. Uh, so many times we've just sat in tears together or uh, we've explored our emotions together. It has been amazingly transformative. So those are some of the things that I come this morning uh, with, if you see what I mean. Um, so, uh, let's get on to the bit now that I, I had planned to say. So, Hannah sent me a message, I can't remember when it was, saying, um, would you speak on this passage about anger? I can't just look at it. There's a few others I've said, oh no. But this uh, has been incredibly challenging to me, um, personally, and some of which I will uh, be sharing about this morning. Um, it was very interesting because, um, yeah, anger. Oh, the other thing was, I did slightly gulp because as part of my course, we've had to do presentations and we were marked. So actually, when the clipboards came out, I was like, oh no, was one thing. I thought I wasn't being marked. I know you're not marking, I know you're not. But uh, yeah, that's been really hard. And this presentation, if anybody's a lecture, would not pass. Anyway. We're so not the, judging. The clipboards did slightly scare me. But no, it's always good to take notes. Um, so yeah, it's quite interesting. 
thing, uh, anger. Yes, uh, I feel it massively, and as I say, it's been very challenging. It was very interesting about this time last year. Um, Ofsted. I, oh, when I'm not, when I'm not. Uh, doing my uh, studying, I'm now a supply teacher, and most of the time with very little ones actually at uh, reception. So it's amazing, everybody's sitting on the bottoms. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, <laughs> not used to that. Um, uh, so yeah, so an Ofsted came to visit whilst I was doing supply. And uh, it was quite interesting, quite an interesting visit. I was then in the following day, it had been really challenging. I'd got really angry, really angry about the way it was actually just before the very sad visit. Um, it was just before that, the very sad visit where the, uh, the head um, actually um, took her own life after it. So we, we were done just before that. And I was actually really angry with some of the things that I'd seen happening. And this is, this is where I get a bit honest. And it, it's kind of funny, but actually it really shows you how I was impacted. So I went in the next day and the Ofsted cars were parked in the um, playground. So I just looked at them and I thought, I'd actually really like to scratch your car. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, I was actually really shocked because I have not felt like that before. I was so angry, not for myself because it kind of didn't really affect me, but for the way that I'd seen other people being treated. So shocked at my reaction. I was like, whoa, Larissa, did you just think that? Was that what was in your heart? That was what was the overflow of my heart, was that feeling. Um, the great thing was that at the time, um, I was actually on a pastoral care module. <laughs> and we were using the Psalms. We were really looking at the use of Psalms in pastoral care, which is just brilliant. So all those implicatory Psalms, which are like, God, you know, I'm really angry. Actually, I was really able to take that, uh, kind of be shocked at myself, take it to God, and then when I got home, yes, to kind of confess that. But rather than like, which I think is what I brought, oh gosh, that's an awful feeling, kind of ditch that. I just say, God, this is how I'm feeling. I'm gonna use a psalm to say, I'm really angry about this. And it was like a really different way of looking at things. So that's my honesty. Yes, there's all sorts of um, examples I could give of that. I think I was so shocked at the violence that I wanted to inflict. You know, sometimes I think, oh, I've got a gossip or I'll go and you know. But actually, that I actually felt really like I wanted to do something that was quite violent. I quite frightened and shocked myself. So, um, this morning, this is not uh, a sermon where I'm going to explain everything. I said to Hannah, um, oh, I'm supposed to be doing this, aren't I? Oh, thank you. Can you just do that? <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, so, what I'm not doing is like going through and explaining all the Greeks. I'm not just doing one of these other. Uh, I'm not doing that. Um, the Bible Project has uh, got a podcast and a website. Sadly, Hannah and I were saying, haven't got to our bits yet. Uh, so, um, listen to that. Um, also, um, there's lots of commentaries. And um, oh, by the way, I do think explaining the Bible is really important. I'm not like saying I don't, but just this morning I said to Hannah, I'll do this if I can uh, just say what, what I've got out of it. Um, a guy called Scott McKnight has also done a commentary just on the Sermon of the Mount, so that's quite useful if you can get hold of that. Um, 
So before I begin uh, flicking through, I'm just going to pray. Emmanuel, Redeemer, I ask for courage as we dive deep this morning into your word and into our hearts. Jesus, we want to be changed into your beautiful likeness so that we might produce fruit which will bless you and bless others. We want to be changed from the inside out. Father, would your kingdom come in our hearts with increasing measure. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. So, oh, I've done two pages already. So, let's start uh, at the very beginning, so to speak. So, Scott McKnight, oh, sorry, that way, okay, says it's really important to look at the um, Sermon on the Mount. So, I'm just going to rearrange myself in a minute. Uh, it's really important to uh, look at the Sermon Mount by looking at the end of the uh, sermon, which is in uh, Matthew 7, and also the beginning bit. So, if you've got a Bible, but don't worry if you haven't, uh, can I just say as well that uh, my intention is not to make anybody feel uh, shame or guilt or anything like that this morning. That is not at all what, uh, what we are about here. Um, so... If you've got a Bible, you might like to turn it on. If you haven't, please don't worry. I will uh, read it out. Um, I will be reading from the NIV, just because uh, that's the one that I've got. But I do love looking at other translations. And um, interestingly, I was listening to a podcast this morning just about the, the real use of uh, looking at different translations to kind of just give you a different slant on things. So, uh, I will read... Um, the uh, guy was also saying the importance of reading aloud. Now, we've all got different translations, but if you want to kind of whisper under your breath, that's really fine. It will make me feel quite at home, actually, because normally <laughs> people are talking as I try to talk. Uh, so if you would like to kind of whisper it aloud, uh, you know, the reading of God's Word aloud is something that uh, used to be done much more frequently. So I'm going to be reading 5, 1 and 2, then I'm going to skip to 20, and then I'm going to skip to uh, 7 at the end. Okay. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. I'm jumping to 20, now down to 26. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. 
First, go and be reconciled to them. Then, come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And now, jump into 7, verse 24. Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And as I say, I um, love reading different uh, translations. I also find reading the message paraphrase um, really interesting because it often gives me a, a slightly different slant. Um, and I love the way that the message uh, just at the end says, and, and this uh, really had uh, an impact on me. I'll read the first little bit. These words I speak to you, to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. Work these words into your life. Work these words into your life. That's really been what's been happening to me over these sort of last few weeks. I've really uh, been working these words um, into my life. It's been incredibly challenging. Uh, I've chatted a little bit to Bronish, said, have you got some tissues ready? I said, well, I think I've done all that, actually. <laughs> Thank you, bless you. Um, so, uh, actually, I also just want to really give God the glory because there was a time during the week and I just thought, God, I don't know. I've kind of written this stuff about three or four times over. I'm going round and round. My brain feels like mush. And um, do you know, God has been so faithful. He's given me people that have prayed for me. Hannah, Hannah Venning has been absolutely faithful in kind of saying, how's it going? How are you doing? In a really uh, cheering, encouraging way. I've had some friends from uh, Waverley kind of, you know, again, being really supportive. So uh, God has been faithful and he's provided me with faithful people. So this is... Uh, Ooh, hello. Oh, I'm doing it the wrong way again. Okay, so uh, this illustrates some of my thinking, not just the going round in circles, uh, but what I felt that God has been saying to me over the last few weeks. So that's my diagram. Uh, that's what I would have got told off about because the writing's too small. But anyway, um, so I can read it to you. Uh, so keep the first things first. Dwell deep. 
He's talked to me about love and obedience. He's talked to me about change, which is often called repent, but I'm just going to use the simple word change. Uh, he's talked to me about guarding my heart and then the way that this is a circular thing. It all keeps going round and round and round. So, uh, in each slide, uh, I just hope to uh, explain. Right, so keep the first things first. Okay. Um, so, I was awake very early. We've got a dog and it decided to bark at uh, about two o'clock in the morning the other day and uh, I just couldn't get back to sleep. I, I was kind of thinking about this, I was thinking about school stuff, I've, um, I'm doing something else later this afternoon, I was thinking about that as well. And um, I, a friend had said to me, oh, you need to read this book uh, called Saving Eutychus, which is a great book apparently about preaching and it stops. <laughs> so I read that as well. And, uh, and I thought, oh gosh, God, I'm so confused. Anyway, uh, the dog was barking, and the one thing in the saving Eutychus was a good reminder, which I was doing, was really pray about your talk. And as I was praying, I was also listening to a podcast. Uh, Renovare is a great um, podcast to listen to. Um, it's Life with God. And um, somebody was talking about really keeping the first thing as the first thing. That's not your ministry. It's not this talk. For me, it was, this talk is not the first thing. The first thing is time with God. And that really, really impacted me. Keep the first thing the first thing. Because I was kind of thinking about all the other things that needed doing. And it was like this lady really gently said, the time with God that you spend is the first thing. And for me, this linked back to um, some verses and some thoughts that I'd had back in December that had kind of fed into uh, January in the new year, which was keeping a focus on God. And again, this um, fixing attention on God, you'll be changed from the inside out. It's not about our external behavior. That matters but we are changed from the inside out. The external behaviour can be really helpful practices, they can be helpful habits, but actually it's being changed from the inside out. And something that I'd really felt um, God saying to me, as I say, in December, was, uh, this was a quote from Amy Carmichael's book, um, his thoughts said, his father said, and again this, uh, really spoke to me um, too much of your surface is exposed to the breath of every wind that blows so I kind of felt a bit like this was impacting me and that was impacting me and I was listening to this and listening to that and then this really um, impactful you must learn to dwell deep I kind of just, I've really sat with this since, I say, the beginning of December. And every year at the new year, I kind of write down what happened last year. And then I write down what I think, uh, well, some of the things I know are going to happen in uh, the year following. But this, uh, these words, dwell deep, have always been like my little mantra, if you want to say, you know, my little, my little thought that just keeps coming. Dwell deep. What am I doing to dwell deep? 
and um, when I've been at Waverley, Steve often uh, takes me up and there's a big lake that he stands near. And um, I love the verse in Psalm 42, which says, deep calls to deep. The deep in God calls for deep in us. And as I'm walking around this uh, lake before I go to my, um, to my studies, um, this, the deepness of the lake kind of, uh, I know Hannah's said before, and I am too, I'm a very much a person who thinks in pictures, or um, I like real things which kind of um, make Bible verses come alive. And in Psalm 1, there's the image of the tree that is deeply rooted uh, by water. And around this lake, there's just loads and loads of these massive trees, and their roots are kind of literally going into the water. Um, and the third uh, picture is the invitation to remain in the vine. So for me, the dwelling deep is um, spending time with God, being like that tree, deeply rooted by the stream, and the invitation to remain in the uh, vine. So it's focusing on this relationship of dwelling deep and abiding in God that I came to approach the passage of uh, about anger. Um, I, as I sort of said earlier, this passage has been used in a way that I found quite hurtful to me um, and actually led me to feeling quite despondent and feeling quite isolated. It was said quite um, heavily over me, you know, don't be angry. And um, somebody actually once said to me that I had a terrible problem with bitterness. They kind of just said this to me. And um, they said, oh, we think you've got a, a real problem with bitterness. This was a long time ago when I was a student, so it wasn't anybody here. <laughs> Don't start trying to stuff out with <laughs> um, And it just destroyed me because they didn't offer me any support. They just said it to me, like, you've got a real problem with bitterness with this particular person. And it wasn't them, it was somebody else. And I thought, I know, I have. It's really painful. And they just said it to me and then just walked off. So can I really um, encourage you that if there's something in this that is challenging you, um, I've really learned about the benefits of having a spiritual companion, a wise person to pray with me. Um, that could be somebody from this church or you can get spiritual companions or spiritual directors, it's an unusual. Or just a friend that will pray with us, a Christian friend that will pray with you. It can be really isolating to try and deal with some of these things by yourself. So I'd really um, encourage you uh, that if you're feeling challenged, certainly for me, I've, I've done that this week. I've phoned people up, I've told them what my challenges are, and, um, and, and they've, they've really supported me and, and prayed for me and talked to me and sometimes gently uh, being curious about my feelings and, you know, uh, not, not, not harsh and challenged me, but challenged me in a really gracious way. Um, and, and that's been really, really helpful. Um, so I... I'm not coming from this from a um, pointing the finger at all. Um, I'm coming from this and suggesting that um, we can start with the position 
of a starting position of love. And I love the bit where Jesus re uh, uh, received such affirmation from his father at his baptism and at the transfiguration. This is my son whom I love in Matthew uh, 3 verse 17 and in 17 verse 5. And we start, for me, I can start to sort things out when I remember that I'm a child of God, when I've got that affirmation. That's not saying, oh, Larissa, you're fine, you don't need to work at this. But it's a really different starting point from, oh, you need to sort this out. So absolutely, yes, uh, we need to be challenged. And, and God uh, does that, though, from a position of, I love you. I want to help you change, and I will change you. Actually, it's the Holy Spirit that changes us. We put ourselves in the position to be changed. We take on practices and habits. It's the Holy Spirit that changes us. Um, uh, so going back to, uh, this is great, thank you so much in the worship, uh, the reminder that God is our Father. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, our Father. Interesting how so many um, references have come from Matthew, again, going back to um, that, the importance of, of seeing the Sermon in the Mount uh, in the whole of, of Matthew. Jesus used the term Abba Father before his arrest, which I thought was quite interesting, actually, before one of the toughest things, well, I would imagine the toughest thing. He, he calls out Abba Father. And in Romans 8, verse 15, we are again reminded to call out Abba Father. And um, I'm a parent, I've got four children. I love my children, not perfectly at all. I want to, I hope, <laughs> graciously challenge them to change. But I hope that it's done from a position of love. Uh, it's probably not always come across like that. You probably ask them. Uh, Toby works in Park Life Cafe, so if you want to ask him, um, <laughs> that's where he'll be. But my heart is love towards them. Uh, I want them to change. It's like the children at school. I've, I've got a real relationship with them. I love them. Um, you know, but it, 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 we, we uh, change from a position of being beloved. And in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, again, we're, we're reminded of uh, the loving kindness of, of God. And as somebody said to me this week, Larissa, don't forget God delights in you. God delights in you. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't say, oh, well, you don't need to change. But it's done from a position of being uh, delighted in. And I have had a difficult thing to do this week. I have uh, this person that I alluded to earlier, who is nobody here, somebody uh, a long way away that I've got a very fractured and uh, broken uh, relationship. I felt that I needed to be obedient to what God was speaking to me about from this passage. And I have written a letter. Um, that was really hard, really hard. I sat shaking, feeling really sick, feeling very tearful. And I really could respond in obedience because of the security of knowing that I was loved. I do not know the outcome of that letter. Things are not sorted, so there we are. <laughs> it's somebody that I felt great resentment and great anger <laughs> to for many, many years. Um, as I dwelt in this passage, I just, I've tried before to sort things out and it hasn't happened. 
over the last two years, I've really thought about sorting things out, but I didn't want to make things worse. But I just really felt when I was studying this, go and try again. Be obedient. I'm in a different position now. I can see things really differently. I've owned up to some of my part in that, which I think a lot of years ago, I was so enmeshed in all the hurt, I couldn't own up, I couldn't take ownership of some of the stuff that I'd done to make that, um, are we on the right thing? Yeah, to make that um, relationship so broken. And again, I'm sorry if I'm harping on about the same thing, but it's made such an impact. I haven't been obedient because I've been fearful of God's you know, wrath. It's not like that. I have been obedient because it's love-based fear. And again, in 1 John, we're reminded that love uh, is not from fear. Love has nothing to do with fear. But um, we can be obedient in, in love. And it's God's love for us leads us to be obedient. And then my obedience was my way of saying, God, I love you. I want this situation to be different. Um, so, as I say, it's not it's not sorted. It would be lovely in a, in a few weeks' time if I could say to you, yeah, <laughs> the pain has gone so deep, I'm not quite sure um, how or when that might happen. But for me, I needed to uh, say that uh, to this person that I owned up. So a little bit more about change. Um, I recognised my anger. I named it. I think for a long, long time, I couldn't look at it a lot. I couldn't name it. Uh, really interestingly, one in during one of our um, modules at Waverley, the tutor kept saying, "Dig down, again, this dwell deep, go deeper. Dig down, dig down, dig down. What's what's that emotion about? Where has that come from?" Um, and then you can name it. And I think I've been doing a lot of kind of throwing it off. But as my friend reminded me, we take it to the cross. Because I think by throwing it off, I kind of kept picking it back up again, if that makes sense. So uh, feel it, name it, confess it, take ownership of it. Um, 1 John 1 talks about us uh, confessing to God, who's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. And somebody called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, was an amazing uh, guy uh, at the time of Nazi Germany. He had a seminary and he wrote a book, um, really encouraging. He did the cost of discipleship, but he also uh, wrote one, he wrote loads, loads of books and uh, letters, but he wrote one called um, Life Together, which was about living in the seminary, and he really encouraged people to um, wisely confess to each other, and that's something that I've not kind of really been um, kind of used to, that confession to each other. I don't mean owning up to the person that you feel has wronged you or you've wronged, but just finding a wise friend to kind of say, actually, I can, I can, you know, I see my part in something that I've done or that's happened. And again, they can faithfully walk uh, with you and pray for you and say, that's, that's not something that I've kind of experienced until the last two years, really. Um, it's incredibly humbling. 
it makes you feel incredibly vulnerable. And I feel so thankful that in my friends from Waverley, and I feel like I can be very uh, honest here, that actually people have, again, prayerfully supported and walked with me. So absolutely, we confess to God. He's the one that forgives us our sins. Um, but also we can confess to others uh, and Bonhoeffer, as I say, uh, talks about that. Um, the word repent uh, can, uh, this uh, thinking is about change and I can't remember where I, I wrote this, uh, read this, but it, uh, again this really impacted me. Rearrange your entire way of thinking, feeling and being in order to forsake that which is wrong. It was, it was that rearrange your entire way. Um, that takes work, it's, it's taken work for me anyway. So that's what we turn away from, the stuff that we're doing wrong, and we turn to, uh, Matthew says, repent, for the kingdom of God has come nearness. I love that nearness of God. I love that Emmanuel, um, God with us, the nearness of God. And then forgiveness. Oh wow, this has been so hard again uh, on my course. We spent a long time uh, speaking about forgiveness. Um, the reminder from Ephesians uh, 4 verse 32, and we forgive because we are forgiven. Again, I'm not saying it's easy. I don't know, maybe some people forgive much easier. It's really hard for me. It's been a real, um, work and it is a real work and oh boy I'm so grateful for Peter I'm so grateful I think maybe I'm a bit like Peter I think I would have been a bit like him you know when he says he thinks he's being really good and he says oh Lord how many times should we forgive seven you know and Jesus says no 70 times seven it's a, a it's a repetitive thing it's something that we might need to keep doing over and over and over again and um, God can can absolutely help us to forgive straight away Maybe I'm just a bit of a slow learner. Maybe um, the stuff that's gone deep in me is taking a long time to root out. One example that I always find just blows my mind is somebody called Croy Ten Boom. You might have heard this story before, but I heard it again this week, amazingly. Uh, isn't it funny sometimes when you're just listening to little things and the same thing just keeps cropping up? And um, something I was listening to. So the story uh, that Corrie ten Boom, she was um, living in the Netherlands at the time of the Second World War and she uh, was hiding some uh, Jewish people uh, in her house in a secret place. Um, she and her family were arrested and she and her sister Betsy were in Ravensbrück concentration camp where actually her sister died. After the war, Corrie ten Boom amazingly um, survived, and after the war she used to travel around just encouraging and speaking about her experiences, and at one of the meetings where she was, um, a guard was there who, who had been in the camp, and when she finished speaking, the guard approached her and asked her for forgiveness. I, I cannot imagine that. I've got so many petty things in comparison that I am so resentful about. And I think for a minute she says she just froze. And then she prayed, Jesus help me, I can lift my hand to shake. I think he held out his hand to be shaken. And uh, 
asked for forgiveness and she said, Jesus, help me. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And she tells the story of how she shook hands. That story just blows my mind every time. Uh, you know, I just picture myself in that position and just think, wow, you know, to, to be able to forgive like that is... Um, yeah, mind-blowing. So, I do just want to say as well about the work of reconciliation. Um, uh, again, I've listened to people working in some really tough spaces, and I have sometimes found this passage about, you know, if you're, if you're coming to the altar, and you know, go and go and go and get it sorted out now. And I'm not saying that can't happen. It actually, it absolutely can. But I also think sometimes reconciliation and forgiveness takes work. And it was actually quite helpful. You, you might disagree with this. You might agree with this. I found it quite helpful. Was that Scott McKnight said these two examples of leaving your gift at the altar and being sorted out as you're on the way to court are kind of quite exaggerated so that it really draws our attention to that it needs to be done. So he's not saying it doesn't need to be done. But also, I have found in my life that forgiveness and reconciliation takes work. I often identify, <laughs> this isn't painting me in a great light, is it at all, with the very grumpy older brother in um, the prodigal son story. I'm afraid I'm quite like him. I love to be the father. I often have identified as the grumpy older brother, uh, the grumpy older sister who's tried to do everything right and all the rest of it. I, I really identify that with that. Uh, another story of reconciliation is with uh, Jacob and Esau, which is really interesting in uh, Genesis 33. And um, just a few little steps. I'm not, uh, you know, um, it, it, reconciliation begins with God. Again, it begins with God, and it's intentional. Um, so I keep quoting Scott McKnight, but he was really helpful to me. The hard work, he says this, the hard work is acting on the intention and then living with the tension that's created by the action. But there is no way to create reconciled relations with those around us until we intentionally decide to act on what Jesus summons us to do. Jesus calls us followers, sorry, Jesus calls us followers to be people of reconciliation. Uh, if it's to become a pervasive lifestyle, it's something we pursue. So, yes, this um, passage kind of says, you know, go and do it now, all the rest of it, but it's also an intentional way of life. It goes back to those, work those words into your life. Uh, one thing before we move to our last slide, uh, reconciliation is between people. And again, this is kind of really highlighted on my course. And I think there are some situations like a toxic or abusive relationship where we need great wisdom around that. I um, would really say, I'd really advocate getting wise advice and prayer of a spiritual companion. So I'm not saying, oh, go and be best buddies with everybody again, because there's some relationships, some situations which are uh, very, very uh, destructive and toxic. I guess I'm thinking that with some of my um, 
people that I've known in the past. Um, so, so I'm not, I'm, I'm really advocating being very wise about that. I'm not just saying, oh, just go and, you know, you know, it's all great, it's all fine. So, so, so yeah, um, that's just one little rider, really. So, guarding my heart. Because I think that's what I need to do. Um, we're challenged often in Proverbs. Guard your heart, it is the wellspring of life. And, and the heart in that situation is, is our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts. Um, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, oh God, what does that word kind of conjure up? For me, it's about putting on protection. Um, but I wondered if other people might kind of read it differently. But my, my reading of it is, is protect your heart, take care of it, be careful with it. Um, in case you don't think you ever get angry, <laughs> and I've identified a lot of my anger uh, with resentment. Uh, somebody called Daniel Goldman, who, who wrote a book called Emotional Intelligence, names anger as being part of the family of resentment, exasperation, irritability, indignation, vexation, acrimony, annoyance, hostility and animosity. So if you've never felt any of those, you can probably switch off. But I kind of felt most of those things, actually. <laughs> um, so, so guarding our hearts um, against those things, I don't think that means that we don't feel them. It's, you know, it's what we do with those feelings. And I think maybe some of those things might be on a bit of a sliding scale. But I think... Uh, sometimes those feelings build up and build up and I have really begun to see how much of my anger come and resentment also comes from a place of feeling hurt or rejected and by recognising this and naming this I've, I've really been trying to guard my heart to be careful with it uh, and so another little personal story which has happened over the last few weeks um, was I knew that a situation was approaching where in the past I've been really hurt by it and then I've got really resentful and then I've got really angry and I knew it was kind of coming up and it was something that you know was unavoidable it was it was going to happen so uh, one I named it I recognized it I named it I really took it to God I, I told somebody else about it I said this is happening you know and uh, she's actually a Christian uh, certified Christian counselor and she said well, I wonder how you could, she didn't use the word guard your heart, but this is kind of how I uh, interpret it. I wonder what agency, what action you could take. So the evening uh, came and very gently I expressed what I, I have to be really careful because I kind of don't want to give too many, it wasn't anybody here. Um, I, I expressed what I wanted to happen and that, uh, that sorted the situation out. Nobody got hurt. And by expressing some of my needs and some of what I, I wanted to have, and I don't mean in a narcissistic, oh, this is what I want. You know, I just kind of said, oh, this, this, is, this is, you know, I, I just said what I felt and what I wanted to happen. The situation played out satisfactorily for everybody. I think because everybody looked really happy. I didn't get rejected. And I'm so easily like, mm, get hurt and rejected. Um, I didn't feel angry at all. And in fact, I felt incredible compassion 
and empathy for the other people in that situation. And it kind of, I texted somebody afterwards going, yeah, I, I did it, I took agency. I said what I wanted to happen. And I actually ended up feeling incredible compassion uh, and thoughtfulness. I think I was so busy not being, you know, angry and resentful, and, you know, and then trying to smile at the same time, that I was actually able to really see other points of view. And then it was really interesting because um, there's this lady called Brenny Brown. She says some quite interesting things. And she said she'd undertaken some research. Now, I, I don't know, she didn't quote what the research was. So, um, but she said she'd done some research about the most compassionate, empathetic people. And they were actually the people who put in boundaries. It's quite interesting because I've really been brought up like, oh, you know, do everything, serve everybody, do everything, and, you know, uh, and actually that was quite interesting, putting in boundaries. So the choices that I make, and that doesn't mean that we're not sacrificial in our serving, I'm not saying that, but sometimes I've said yes to too many things, or taken on too many things, or tried to do too many things, and then I end up you know, getting stressed out, feeling resentful, then I get angry, then I'm really cross with everybody, and then the whole thing just becomes a horrible, horrible, angry mess. Whereas actually, perhaps actually, in the first place, I just put some of the first things first, just been a little bit more mindful about what I'd said yes to, guarded my heart a bit more, and might not have got in the angry, resentful, cross mess in the first place. Um, these are all um, ideas which are brilliant about, um, you know, putting off, uh, I'm going to say spiritual, I'm just going to use that word. We're also physical beings, we're in a body. And I've really learned, now this might not work for everybody, in fact I'm not suggesting it does at all, I've really learned that sometimes going for a walk or going for a run uh, has been a really good way for me to process some of that resentment and anger. Again, there was something, a little personal story, uh, I just felt the twinges of and I thought, okay, I'm very lucky, uh, I've got a bit more freedom in my timetable at the moment. And I just thought, right, okay, before that starts bubbling and boiling away, I'm going to go for a quick walk. I'm really lucky, I live near the cemetery. I'm going to just go for a quick walk. And I kind of started off really, you know, marching away. And then gradually, gradually, you know, I was just able to bring it to God, the movement of my body. Um, one of my tutors goes for really long runs. Um, I was just in such a different place when I went back home. And amazingly, you know, uh, it didn't all come back on top of me. Because sometimes I've done that, you know, just a quick walk, and then it actually you get back and it's like, oh, it's all come back on top of me. It, naming it and recognising it, taking it to God, leaving it at the cross, um, maybe dancing, maybe putting on some music. Uh, I would just say it, uh, not to feed the anger. <laughs> so some music might feed anger. Uh, I mean putting on music or walking that uh, I feel the anger and then I'm freed for it. Not I don't feed it, I don't go and listen to some angry music because that, I don't think that's very helpful. <laughs> um, you know, so again, it's guarding my heart. So, sorry, I'm rattling on here. Okay, so, and then um, remembering to put on the armour of God, the breastplate of righteousness that guards our hearts. And finally, how does all this happen? Well, I'm back to the beginning, dwelling deep and abiding in God.
So that's the way I can guard my heart, is to go right back to that beginning, uh, dwelling deep and abiding with God. I've got no idea the time because my watch. I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> so sorry. No, it's ditch not. everything. Okay, <laughs> ditch everything, and uh, we will finish there. <laughs> We really need to honour you for your honesty because it takes guts to come up here and to share personal stories and to say we're a work in progress. So thank you for blessing us and challenging us and comforting us and doing all that wonderful stuff through this tricky passage. Um, I've been personally stirred. I hope you have as well. Um, and we need to keep those conversations, that accountability, that friendship, that relational family stuff that we talked about at the start, standing with each other and standing for each other and, and coming from a place of love, which is so healing in itself, isn't it? Um, Larissa, what would you like to happen now? <laughs> because you had you had that um, that track, Lord, I Come to You, which we could play as a way to res- for people to respond. Um, I, I want to be led by you. I'm, I'm just the host. I'm the facilitator of what God's doing. Um, so I'll give you a couple of moments and I'll do a little intermission while we're chatting. Yeah. Um, interestingly, uh, this morning um, I met with our brilliant guardians and at, at one point we were talking about our youth and our, our kids' work and, and what we pray for that. And Dennis mentioned about foundations, didn't he? He talked about foundations. It's interesting. Um, when God starts nudging us and saying the same thing, we better pay attention, haven't we? And this is all about foundations. This is all about dwelling deep, roots down, recentering ourselves radically. So I think there's something going on here about who we are and whose we are. That being the first thing first, being really assured that we are loved. It's a love that doesn't just leave us alone. It nudges us. It nudges us, it troubles us, it encourages us to transform. But it all starts with our foundations. So I think that's the work that the Spirit wants us to be doing. Foundations. Foundations. Deep foundations. Where are you building your life? Are you open to, are you aware of, whose you are?